Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my brother, Dagan Moriarty. Dagan, quack, 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 quack. How are you, my friend? Quack, quack, quack. The Oreo line. The Oreo line, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if you're going to get away with that anymore. <laughs> you think that you're probably not going to get away with probably would no longer work, my friend. No. I was just laughing. I have a little leftover scotch, a little rocks glass of scotch left over from last night that I just noticed in my office. And I was like, do I do it? No, no. And no. then I was like, what kind of degenerate drinks yeah, scotch at two o'clock in the well, afternoon? Yeah, and it's been sitting out, so it's like lost all of its. Yeah. Although it's a peaty scotch, Carl. So it already kind of tastes like ass. Yeah, scot- I'm not a scotch person, generally speaking. I don't like scotch very much. <laughs> I mean, it's to, to each his own. I, I think brown liquor is generally pretty awesome, but bourbon all the way. Yeah, you're a bourbon guy. I, I like or both. Rye. I, that would be I under, bourbon's a little easier. A little oh, sweeter, definitely. You know? Yeah, a little smoother. Well, the barrels that make scotch, I'm sure a lot of people already know this, but you use new American oak barrels to make bourbon. And then that those bourbon barrels are sold to scotch companies who then make scotch in them. Yeah. Yeah. And so they advertise that, the shit out of that. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what it's aged in, what kind of wood, got the and you cherry can, cask. And you can buy that. barrels of like old barrels of, I think they call it Kentucky lemonade or something where you, you buy old empty bottles of or barrels of bourbon and then you just dump a bunch of water and lemons in it and just let it sit for oh i never heard of that yeah that's interesting yeah it's supposed to be really super cool maybe a little sugar who knows my friend welcome to the show how's uh how's life i was curious uh when we're recording this you had just gone to too many games can i say something about too many games as logo real quick not that that, they (laughs) just invited us so i don't want to do you know just immediately get a shit on them (laughs) it's not very good you, you don't know, like the d-pad with the no because the d-pad is the two it's not it it's it's a it's like the size of a plus sign so it doesn't really look like a t yeah right you know it's too symmetrical yeah i don't i get it. it but other than I that get they're very nice they seem to be i didn't need to deal with them at all they're very nice did you have a good time at the show what was that it was what good happened? man yeah. i was saying to dustin yesterday so for those who don't know dustin and i did a sort of knockback cross sacred symbols panel about playstation original playstation and it went really, it was, we both had a great time. Everybody who showed up, all the fans, all the listeners were awesome to a person, as always, polite, smart, to ask great questions at the q and I couldn't, it was, it was great. Too Many Games is getting huge. Every year it gets a little more crowded. I was saying to Dust yesterday when we were having dinner before the panel, I said, I honestly thought for a couple of years there recently that retro gaming was sort of tapering off. It was kind of dying. Mm. And it's the exact opposite. Now, a large part of it is anime, cosplay. There's Pokemon cards there. There's traditional tabletop gaming. It's not just retro gaming, but I would say it's 80% revolving around retro gaming still. It's still very much a thing too many games and they do a great job i think i think it's really big i think they do have a big space they have a free arcade they had a double free arcade lots of panelists david Hayter was out other metal gear solid voice people charles Char- is it charles martinet or charles martinet i've heard martinet but i don't okay yeah I'll i don't, I don't know for sure though 
I was, was in an, I was in an elevator with him at E3 once, and there was like some foreign news crew in in the elevator with us, and they made him do the Mario, uh, like the. You know, and he was a good sport. Yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be really cool, though. Some one of the fans told me <laughs> this is not to shit on Mr. Martinet, but that he was charging an exorbitant amount, like eighty dollars or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, I. You want to know? Here's my thing about this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is maybe this is ridiculous because maybe not so much. It's actually ridiculous for him, but people and if you're not making money from the product that you're in anymore, then I kind of don't begrudge you making a little bit of money with the signings and the pictures and all of that. I've seen, for instance, the guys, the Willy Wonka kids go to various Comic Cons. And on principle, I'm just like, I'm not doing it. You know, like I'm not I'm just not I love you, but I'm not going to do it. Because I've signed and taken a th- thousands of yeah. pictures probably with fans at this point, but I still make money on what I do. Right. right? So there is that. It's kind of like additive. And so I, I, I'm kind of six of one half dozen in the other about how I feel about the, the, the charging for the autographs, the charging for the pictures. It's, it's a kind lot, of, dude. It's a little. It's a little fucked up. I think. It's a little much yeah, or keep it modded. Like if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this, but before the Star Wars prequels i believe carrie fisher was signing autographs for 50 bucks now that's princess leia that's the stand that should set the bar for everything you should not be asking for more than carrie fisher she's hollywood royalty a and she's pop culture royalty right there's no star wars without carrie fisher there's none of this without her so you're charging 80 bucks i mean you're the voice of mario it's important yeah no it's it's cool but i i just when we try to at our live shows, we have VIP VIP tickets. And part of it is getting a picture at, which we professionally have taken and sent to you and we sign whatever you bring if you want things. Plus, you get a poster signed. Right. Plus, you get a VIP session, as you know, with us where we talk and hang out and ask, you know, ask questions and have a discourse. And you get to the venue first. So you pick any seat you want. Right. So there's like a bunch of things. I would feel weird if it's like meet Colin Moriarty, 20 bucks. It's like, mm, you got to give them more than that. You know, you got to. But whatever, teach his own. I'm, I'm sure they, they make hand over fist money, although at the same time. Yeah. Nickel and diming like that, although it's not so much nickel and diming, it's like more than that. But it kind of shows you these people don't make as much money as you might think. Yeah, yeah that could be true, too. If yeah. you're Carrie Fisher charging $60 for a picture, I I think that that's insanity. It's like, how are that's you? That's a lot. But but I'm just saying, how do you not have. You just want ten thousand dollars from the show or whatever. It just seems so trivial for someone like that. I guess is what I'm saying. I understand. It's a lot of money to saying. me. It's a lot of money to you. But for someone like that, it's right. like you're it's sitting like there, sixty dollars a person. So let's say you meet, I don't know, five hundred people or something like that. Right. If you have the stamina for that, I mean, it's really. I mean, it's probably not even close to that. You're walking away with ten, fifteen thousand dollars. It just seems, it seems strange. You know, yeah, teach their Seems own. Like a, you know, but yeah, I, I understand exactly. What I you think mean. you know that, what I mean. That yeah. that does get into murky waters. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. There's a lot to there's a lot to un, unpack there. Like how much is enough? That's what I've been saying <laughs> yeah. a lot. Seriously, that's what I've been saying. I, the PGA lived golf tour guys were saying that what during that whole fiasco, and one of the guys I really respected when they were trying to court him to live golf, and they tried to give him a hundred million dollars. Where he's like, I'm already a millionaire. Like I don't care. He's like, I've made fifteen million dollars or something. I'm fine. Right. And that, that would be my mentality, too. You know, <laughs> I'd be like, whatever, dude, how much is enough? Like, seriously, Absolutely. how much is enough? All right. Well, it's good. I'm glad you had a good, uh, good situation Super there. Fun. 
Super hey, glad. Fun. What did you and Dustin do? Did you guys go get dinner or anything like that? Yeah, or? we got dinner Friday night. We had the little meet and greet, and that was okay. Like thirty or forty people showed up, and people came from all over the place. They came from Ohio. There was a cat from Massachusetts. Somebody came from Florida. Somebody came from Buffalo. There was a couple of people came from Western PA. Cool. Forty people is a great. Turn it was up. great. It was really nice, and we met. And then some of those people stayed on for the weekend. So some of those people showed up at the panel last night. But yeah, Dustin and I met up in the afternoon. Had some dinner, hung out, did one of our listeners, one of our devout listeners, especially for Sacred Symbols, Anthony, he had a panel too, because he has a podcast. I'm not sure how big he is, but he had a great turnout for his panel. Cool. And then, you know, we did that and then we we went late, so we didn't know how it was going to show out for us mm-hmm. at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, but it was good. It, we They gave us a big stage, so there was, there was plenty of empty seats, but it was enough. 50, 60, 70 people showed up. Which I thought was cool. I met with our friend Pat Contry. Oh, nice! I haven't seen him in a while. It was so nice to see him and Mm -hmm. hang out for a while and just have a conversation. But he was saying he had a panel, I guess, either earlier that day or on Friday, and he said only like sixty people showed up. So by that, I was like, oh, we're gonna have twenty people, you know. But it went well. It went really well. That is more Pat's scene, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I haven't. Yeah, I saw. I saw. I went to his house in San Diego. That was probably in 2018 or 2019. Yeah, not too long ago, about five years ago, right? Yeah, he's. I. I. I, haven't, I don't keep up with the retro scene at all. I've no. There's so many fucking shows and so many people doing things, which is awesome. But I. I. I whenever I hear about Pat, for some reason, it's always about something people being upset with him about, and I'm like, what can oh, you really? possibly be upset with Pat about? Yeah, about the N64 <laughs> book and about like some other, which you wrote for, I think you've written yeah. for his books. Yeah, and um, he's still working on it. Yeah, and they're just like random things that i see and i'm like why i, I cannot even imagine having a problem with pack country of all people but, it's so weird right? I, I mean he, he does has, doesn't he have beef with the fucking coleco dude yes yeah that Tommy i know about. Ka- Talarico. yeah yeah which that's, is a, that's a feud that's hysterical <laughs> <laughs> all right dig let's get into the topic at hand here my all friend. right i can't wait i wanted to throw this one out at you and see what you thought of it it's the 1992 sports comedy for children mostly uh the mighty ducks and I'm curious what you think of this movie, if you enjoyed it. It was fun for me to watch it. I have deep history and provenance with this film. This film, both as a, I'm a, a hockey player or I was a hockey player and I was of the age that where this was right up my alley. This was also during, I think, a renaissance of a lot of pretty good children's sports movies, whether you're talking about Ladybugs, uh, Little Giants. There's just a lot of random I don't know what that was. The Angels in the Outfield. There was just sure. uh, Rookie of the Year. I mean, there's a lot of them. I don't, you don't really see them at all anymore unless I'm just not, I'm obviously not a child anymore. So maybe I'm just missing all of it. But no, I, think I feel like right. I was constantly seeing these movies in the theater and I always liked them. It was always like some ragtag <laughs> poor kid or, you know, whatever and winning the championship. Obviously, Major League and all that, although those aren't children's movies. So I'm curious what you thought of this. Have you ever seen it or did, were, you ever, were you familiar with it? I'll throw it over to you. I have much to say, but I, I'm eager to hear what you think. Yeah, I always knew this was a big one for you. And now, listen, an iconic franchise, an iconic Disney franchise. I had never seen this film, so I didn't know what to think going in. And I'll tell you right now from the outset, spoilers, charming as hell. Loved it. I thought it was really enjoyable. I watched it twice. Now, I knew going in built upon the foundation of the prototypical classic kids sports films, right? For me, I'm old, so I go back to... The mid 70s, 76, I think, with Walter Matthau and the Bad News Bears, which is still one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Never mind just 
kids sports movies. I mean, I love that. I love that film. That's like Very the prototype nostalgic. for these kinds of movies. You know? De- definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the bedrock this stuff is built upon. And you see a lot of that in this movie. But also, you know, listen, not C- Coppola, not Kubrick, but a little deeper and a little more complex and thoughtfully done than the typical kids movie, than the kids child movie, you know, where it's like there's, it goes a little more into, it does a little more than it has to. I felt like at a certain point in the movie, it starts off darker than I thought a movie like this could start off. And then eventually it gets into this space where I'm like, wow, this movie is actually pretty, pretty, deep for what they had to do they didn't have to do this much you know they go a little further than they needed to and i think the performances are good and yeah it was just a lot of fun and also nostalgic because we talk about the early 90s a lot kyle on the show and i feel like it's another case of that where it's just an extension of the 80s it still feels very 80s and i love that look the feel the tone it really takes me back to being a kid, I was a you know, I was graduating high school eventually in in June '92, so this takes me back to that formative age, my friend. Yeah, I I think about a lot of things with this film. First of all, I don't know if you remember, I I had one of the movie posters in my room in Marie Court of of this. I think I got it from Showtime Video or something. That's it came awesome. out in the theater in October '92. I definitely saw it in the theater, but. It was a big home video thing for me too. the sequel, which maybe we'll get to at some point, which is icon. The, the sequel is probably the most famous of the Mighty Ducks properties. And uh, that that's when they go and play like in the basically the, what they call the junior goodwill games where they're like Team America. And it's fucking awesome. And so the Hawks are basically the, the Hawks in that movie are, the, are called Iceland. They basically have the same jerseys and everything. It's that's super, awesome. It's super, and it's, it's still Emilio Estevez in that. Yeah, one. it's Emilio Estevez. Right? And he's still the coach. And then okay. the third movie, they go to boarding school. And play and they play the J. Um, they're the JV team at this boarding school, and they basically have a rivalry with the, the the varsity team. And that was the end of that. I think there's more, but I don't I don't know anything after that. But this movie, you're right. It uh, it struck me. I haven't watched it in, in I don't know when the last time is I watched this movie. It's been years, but there's a lot about it that struck me. Which is the first thing is something you said, which is it's it's dark. I always knew that it was dark, and there's even it's even darker than. It seems sometimes because it deals a lot with poverty and all of the rest, but it moves so quickly that you don't really get time to marinate on the sadness or the fucked up nature of a lot of it. For instance, they're like picking through the garbage. They're wearing magazines as shin guards. And <laughs> yeah. when you if you sat if the movie was an hour longer and you just marinated on those beats a little more, you'd realize how bad news bearish it it definitely is. I mean, this movie is the closest parallel to that, unlike some of the other children's sports movies from the late 80s, early 90s and into the mid 90s that I mentioned, which are which are all kind of different. So I, I the darkness of it, not only Gordon losing his dad, Gordon missing that shot, being berated by his coach, but something that was lost on me ever I, I, again, like I again, just seeing it as an adult and thinking about it critically as opposed to just watching it on TNT or whatever the fuck it was on in 2008 or whenever the last time I watched it was. You realize how imprinted Gordon was by his experience playing hockey and how it it formed formed the person he was, this unlikable when it all costs kind of thing for some reason as a kid i just never picked up on that whole lesson knew he was a drunk i knew he was all these different things i knew he wanted to get with charlie's mom i knew all this various (laughs) stuff but i never thought about that particular aspect of it that he was 
obsessed with winning because he was obsessed with winning as a kid that he will, he can't stand losing because the pain, the pain of losing that year, he lost his dad in 1973. It is in the, in the movie universe was so painful that he quit hockey forever. So I really, really liked that. I, I, I remember the drunk driving and that's so out of, <laughs> what do you think about that? Do you think they would be able to get away with that today? Having the coach get like basically boozing in the car, they show it. It's not even like it's insinuated or whatever. It's very, it's funny how th- how much things have changed in that regard. Yeah, it's kind of handled comedically, and it is brazen. And it does, again, it takes me back to Bad News Bears. And I know I'm old, but in that movie, the Walter Matthau character was an alcoholic, sort of loser, down on his luck, pool cleaning, drop minor league baseball dropout, like a failed pro baseball player. So that was the whole thing. And I know, I think, again, building on that template, if I'm not mistaken, I think I read that they were like straight up going to make Emilio Estevez an alcoholic. But in fact, they just kind of dispelled it into that one moment of just drinking and throwing the beer cans out the window, which, by the way, I've seen that happen in real life. I've seen like truck drivers just like drinking and throwing <laughs> cans out the window and like a can would fly out like every 15 seconds, like guzzling. It's a it's amazing. That's an amazing thing to behold. Don't they do? I, I got to look into this a little bit more because I don't want to overstate it. But I think in some states like Montana and others, you can drive with an open container. Oh, like you I can didn't know this. get to go drinks, I guess, and then bring them places, but can't People will write in and tell me, but there's so some, there's a way to justify. There's like that some weird rule. libertarian shit going on in some of those states, yeah, where you can, <laughs> like where there's basically pull up bars, you know, that kind of thing. Oh shit, I didn't know about that. Yeah, I'm gonna look this up. Yeah, but, uh, there was one. This is a. This is really. I won't veer off too much, but there was one time I remember driving home from, or I was driving from Connecticut to go see Helene and you know in the Philly burbs. And I was in the New York area, like crossing the Throgs Neck Bridge or something, coming up on the toll booth. And there was a guy in like a big pickup truck and he was drinking cans of butt and throwing them out the window. And he almost hit my car with a can. And I got pissed and it got into this like road rage incident. And finally, he was like a big intimidating dude. And finally, he, he, we pulled up alongside each other as we're waiting to go through the toll. And he's like, what the fuck's your problem? I was like, you almost hit my car with a beer can. And he was like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> like, it was the craziest thing. Like, he was just like, oh, all right. Sorry People are fucking that. shot, dude. But who was expecting this movie to start out? Drunk driving, right? Little child endangerment, mm-hmm. pulling up onto the ice with the car. A guy bragging about his sexual conquests. It's like the Gordon Bombay character is a pretty unsavory cat, mm-hmm. you know, the way he's presented. And then, of course, he has to have his arc where he becomes the good guy. But I wasn't expecting it to start in that territory. You could tell that what i read was true like it started even darker and they sort of edited it to make it a little more flowery but i wasn't expecting it like that's not the typical thing you see now this is 92 baby this is this is 92 rules yeah it's it's funny man like it 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 reads differently i don't mind the way it reads i think some of the the writing is really quippy actually when he says like community service this is horrible (laughs) a really good line and how can you do this to me? I hate kids. They're barely human is another great line. And like you said, the limo on the ice, all of that. But yeah, the walking through the office in the beginning, kind of the walk and talk is he's talking about how he banged the court reporter and did all these very weird. And I, as a, it, it's just a different era because I don't remember everyone, anyone having a problem with that. Although maybe people like parents and adults were cringing around me. I have no idea. But 
And I wouldn't, I didn't think twice about it really. There were a few things for a few innuendos I didn't understand. Like that there's a, there's a reference to blue balls later, which I did not understand. <laughs> In the science class. Yeah, yeah. I did not understand that at all. And that's, <laughs> that's interesting too. So yeah, the writing's fascinating. I, I'm curious what you think about um, focusing on the game of hockey for a, a movie. There's not very many of these Slapshot obviously is probably the most famous and we'll get to that at some point. That movie's hysterical. So good. That movie. But, uh, I'm curious what you make of the subject of hockey, because usually baseball, football, these are like the greater focuses. It's it's kind of and you can see during the shooting It's one of my complaints about the movie is that it's hard to probably shoot this stuff and to get what you need or whatever. And the hockey is just so bad in the movie. I don't know why it had to be like the. I almost don't understand why it had to even be this way, the way that they shot it, where it's so slow and and it's not like the way hockey's played even at that level at all. So. That was disappointing, but I'm curious what you thought about the focus on the sport of hockey. Yeah, I wanted your input on that. You know, for, it's like me with skateboarding. You're going to be deeply analytical of something that you know presented in this pop culture way, right? Where it's like accessible for everybody, but we know how wrong it is behind the scenes. So I definitely wanted your take on that. It takes me back, Kyle, because as you know, we grew up and I grew up in the 80s. It was, I know it's not Canada. I know it's not New England, but we really did grow up in hockey country. Like I grew up with, my peers in school, friends and otherwise that were like die hard, died in the wool Rangers fans and Islander fans. And they were all about hockey, you know, and if you were in New England, you were about the, the Bruins. And if you were in Philly, you were about the Flyers. So it really hockey was a really important sport growing up in the 80s. Like I, re, I wasn't into it necessarily. I went through a very brief flirtation with street hockey. I never even learned how to skate like Kyle. But hockey was a big thing. And I do remember in gym class in junior high school trying to, because I really only ever knew the basics, get the puck into the opposing goal. I get it. I I understand the mechanics of how to play, but I never understood the rules insofar as who's where and where they're allowed to go in terms of boundaries. And I remember asking my gym teacher in sixth or seventh grade, like, please explain this to me because we were just playing Floor hockey, you know, street hockey indoors. I don't remember if it was with a soft puck or a ball, but I remember trying to understand it because I just wanted to be able to talk that talk with my friends that were into it. And he just did, he presented it in such a way that I, I was, I walked away even more confused. And that might have been it for me with hockey. That might have been the thing. Mm. You know, you I'll think like, about those yeah. format, those seemingly little moments, but they're really formative. Who knows if he really took the time to break down hockey and put his arm around my shoulder and was like, look, this is how it works. This is how it works, kid. Who knows? Maybe I would have went on to be Wayne Gretzky, right? But this that's one thing that this movie evoked for me. It was like, I still don't understand outside of the extreme basics how this game really even works, like what a power play is and what, you know, the, the penalties for what and it seems very violent. So what's going too far and what's what's acceptable? That was a big thing for me. And that's where I got to pick your brain, because even even in this movie, I was confused. Like, who who's it? Who's a defensive guy? Who's a forward? Like, what does that mean? Where can they go? Are they allowed to go every? I don't know. I'm so confused by it. Yeah. Still to this day. Soccer yeah, it's, it's, it's not as complicated as you probably think. Any player can go anywhere on the ice. So that's that's number one. Any play, okay, any of the, any of the five skaters can go anywhere they want. OK, but there's position. So you want to kind of stay where you're supposed to be. But there's okay. no law keeping early enough rule keeping you in, in place. I never knew that. Yeah. So, OK, any of the five players can be anywhere. 
you have three offensive players and two defensive players and a goalie at any given time. Okay. So you have your center. Those are the guys that take the faceoffs and they usually in the offensive zone play in front of the net. And then you have left wing and right wing, which are the guys on either side. So offensive players that play on the sides. And then you have a left defense and a right defense that split the ice in half. Yeah, that is really simple. But it's but none of it, it. It's all so quick that if someone, you know, someone will do what's called pinching, which means that they'll a defenseman will just take the puck up and start playing as an offenseman and, the, and an offensive player will know to drop back and play defense. There's no rule saying either of those things had to happen, but that's how a good team would would play. So you kind of read it like that. It's similar to soccer in that way. As long as you're coordinated and you know who's doing what. Right, exactly. And that's why and, and some of the things they go into and I was telling Mike, it's fu- some of it's funny, like soft hands and keeping your head up like these are really and he says these things and they get into it. That, those are really essential lessons of playing hockey, receiving the puck, you know, and instead of just keeping your stick on the ice, you have to kind of cup it. It's like sure. catching a ball. You know, you're kind of like going with the motion of it as you bring it in towards you. And uh, yeah, so that's that's that. And then power play. Uh, that's when it's five on four or five on three. And that happens because of penalties, which are usually okay. two minutes each and tripping, cross-checking, slashing, um, boarding. Like those are the different kinds of penalties you would see. So a five on four would mean there are five offensive players on with four defensive players on for two minutes. And that's oh, a lot. That's all so, that is. Yeah. So and that's a, that's that's when teams tend to score. So a five on four is a great advantage A five on three, which happens so often. That's you can get as many penalties as you want, but you can't play with fewer than three skaters. So you can have three or four guys in the box, but it'll just be three players on the ice for you. Okay. That's a okay. massive disadvantage. If you give a, an NHL team a minute or a minute and a half and five on three, they're going to score for sure. You know, almost certainly because they can they just collapse the team. You can watch it happen. You know, you want to stay spread out as a defense, passing the puck around the perimeter when you only have three people instead of five. So a person on each per, on each uh, player, the the triangle starts to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink, and you could see it. And that's how that's why the puck is constantly moved around. So you get everyone collapsing on the net, and then you start throwing the pucks at the net. Yeah, see, that's interesting. So is it like soccer too, where a team will try to draw penalties to get themselves into that advantageous position? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't, there is actually a diving penalty in in hockey for for accentuating a penalty that you shouldn't have. So there's it's worth saying that, but um, okay. But no, I, I don't think it's quite like soccer. In fact, I think hockey, I, I hate to say this, I was a hockey player, so I guess I have a bias, but I've, I've always thought hockey players were like the biggest men of them all. Like straight up, most of them played straight up, get your fucking teeth knocked out back the next period, get 15 stitches on your face back the next period. That's insane. It, like the, it, they're, listen, the NFL players are awesome and they can fucking knock my block off or whatever, but they're babies compared to hockey players. And everyone knows that. Yeah, like everyone knows that hockey players just roll. If you get if you have to get stitches or get fucked up, you're getting back on the ice later. Uh, It's just kind of the the mentality of it. So, yeah, but there's not much else to really understand apart from that. Offside means the puck has to enter the the offensive zone before any player. So, yeah, that's really basic. And you can tell that the flying V is onside. I was I was saying to Mike, I'm like, I bet you they go offside on this sh- and they just don't whistle it. But actually, they've gone out of their way to make the flying V so that it actually was onside. The puck enters before the first person. So when they're passing it between them, the, the lead player has the puck when they're entering the zone on the, in okay. the blue line. So that would be onside. You're looking for stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I just was curious, you know, and then um, the only other rule, major rule is icing, which just means that you can't dump the puck behind your red line into the other team's zone behind their goal line that means that there's a face off in your zone because that's just a cheap way to dump the puck. Basically. Oh, I see what you mean. You can just constantly yeah, just do that really over and over isn't. again. 
So that's yeah. not too bad. See, for me, ignorance is bliss when I watch a hockey movie because as long as it looks cool mm-hmm. and is well choreographed and everything, I'm I'm content. But yeah, the choreographing is not very good in this movie. That it's not very good in any of them, really. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that I've ever seen hockey. I'm curious to see the the Disney Plus show at some point to see because I bet you it's much better from that standpoint. But that's what bothered me the most. I mean, because it's cool. The actors can play. They can skate. You can tell. Right. They, they know how to play. And I think that they've talked about how they went to like camps and stuff like that or whatever. And yeah, they kind of got right. people that knew how to skate. And there's some surprising people in this movie, too, like Juice, Jussie Smollett or whatever is is one of the little kids, which is hysterical. And little Pete from Pete and Pete. Yes. This as well. And <laughs> he so plays little Tommy. Yeah. Little Tommy. Tommy so, and Tammy. <laughs> so, so I like that they got people that can play, obviously. So why not just up it a little bit and get get the hockey like you would think you would just get what I would think is you'd have people scrimmaging and just getting tons of action shots and then trying to splice that in like it's the Hawks and the Jets or the Hawks and the and the Ducks or whatever so you're like okay let's just have them play a bunch and then just get a bunch of footage and then we'll get the shots we need of the scoring and all of this and we can kind of splice it together I I that might not be possible but you would think that the action would be a lot better if you did show like that yeah yeah, definitely. I definitely hear that. Yeah. And and it seems like, I mean, maybe it's tough because hockey is so frenetic, but you could probably get away with a lot more too in terms of editing and just, you know, cutting and intercutting and transitions and stuff you would think. Yeah. But I mean, that Game Changer series will be interesting to watch because it's much, it's more modern. Even the, the look of everything, right? The equipment and everything will be much more contemporary because they just i and i think there's something weird going on with emilio estevez because they just pulled the series off of disney plus like a month ago or are they doing like a right one of those write-off things i don't know you know they've been doing that like universal does it too where they did it with willow disney plus did it with willow where that show's gone like it's just been disappeared and apparently that's to take a write-off on the entire production oh is that the strategy yeah so like in in order to truly take a write-off like a write-down on the production you're like you gotta remove it it's got it's gone forever interesting so instead of keeping it there and taking whatever they're just like oh willow costs a hundred million dollars so we'll just write that off our taxes but the show can never be seen again and that's how it works oh so they're keeping the disney vault alive without saying that the disney vault but i think there's going to be a problem with them ever releasing it again that's the point like they've taken the write down on it you know like it's a loss it's an an incurred realized loss for the company so you can't make money on it now now it's a legal thing so in order to do that because discovery has been really famously doing that with a bunch of random shit too like they're removing um they did like some sort of grease tv show okay about the girls in greece or whatever and they uh not greek girls but grease the movie (laughs) and that movie is apparently one of those that's being or that show has been disappeared too so that's that's why it's happening. So I guess maybe they're going to do that to the Mighty Ducks, which would not be surprising. It's always been like a B or C tier. Yeah, but I, I don't I just don't think they treated it well. I actually think the Mighty Ducks has a lot to do with hockey's popularity in the 90s. And I'll get into that. A fucking sports team owned by Disney or at least funded in part by Disney in the beginning was made from the Mighty Ducks, which is pretty wild. So it's a it, big thing. Sure. It, it was a big thing. And hockey was huge in the 90s. I think a lot of people don't remember that. And in the 80s, like you said, it was really big and depending in your location too, but they started to expand in the nineties. There was some expansion in the eighties. The devils were an expansion team in the eighties. For instance, they technically moved from Colorado. They oh, I didn't Col- know that day. The devils didn't exist before the eighties. No, they, I think 82 was their first year and they oh, were the Colorado Rockies before. Oh, uh, there was also knew. a team in the Cal- in California that went defunct called the California golden seals. I don't know if you remember them, but don't know that would have been like around you when you were really young and the Atlanta flames became the Calgary flames. 
there was a team in Cleveland called the Cleveland Barons that went away. Kansas City oh, had a team called the Kansas City Scouts. Okay. So there were like a bunch of defunct teams and then the NHL kind of went into this because the NHL was six teams forever. It was six teams, I want to say, until the 60s. So probably 60 years of just six wow. teams. Wow. Can you name them? Do you know what they are? No, I don't think I know any of them. Bruins. Okay. Rangers. See if okay. I can do it. Bruins, Rangers, Canadians, Blackhawks, Red Wings, Maple Leafs. Yeah, that would be the six. Okay. So those are the original six teams. Wow. And then they expanded in the 70s. And some of the expansion teams, like I said, went away Cleveland. But some of those expansion teams are like the St. Louis Blues, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Pittsburgh Penguins, stuff like that. The Islanders. Okay. In 72. And then the 80s kind of came and went. Some teams moved. Like I said, the Rockies moved to New Jersey and so on and so forth. The Golden Seals went away. But the, the San Jose Sharks came kind of from the from that franchise. Okay. And so on and so forth. But then in the 90s, that's when they expanded. So that's like Tampa Bay Lightning, San Jose Sharks, Ottawa Senators, and so on and so forth. And they expanded a bunch right on through like the Atlanta Thrashers, which became the Winnipeg Jets, Nashville Predators, Columbus Blue Jackets, Minnesota Wild, which replaced the North Stars, which moved to Dallas in the 90s. And we will talk about the North Stars in a minute because it's very weird that they're in this movie. Yeah, that's right. Because that's a that because I loved the North Stars old logo, and it, this was during that transitional time when they got rid of that N logo. You know what I'm talking about? The N with the star at the top. Yeah, it was sure. Like yeah, iconic, of course. Awesome logo. Yeah, it is iconic that yeah. one. And so, um, so yeah, hockey kind of got ahead of its. It was going really like with a head full of steam, but then in 2004, you might recall there was a there was a lockout, and they didn't play at all the entire year. I don't know if you remember that it was 2004, 2005. I think was the season. That was and the that season, season was that. gone. That just never happened, <laughs> and that killed hockey. And in, in, in the estimation of a lot of people just absolutely killed it Never killed came financially back. killed. Yeah, where it was kind of it was always the fourth sport, but it was kind of vying with NBA at that time for a little more respect. Now, I think the the its best target would be the MLB to try to surpass at this point. The NBA is fucking huge. The NFL is an established behemoth now. But um, yeah, so uh, it's it's so funny what you were saying about the Rangers and the Islanders. Like, I remember that, too. I remember hockey always being big. It was always big. That's how I got into it. Definitely. And our family, if anything, was kind of the exception to the rule and not really having any hockey fans until me in it. Yeah, really? Because no. the Islanders were huge. The Islanders had won. When you were a kid, the Islanders won four cups in a row. I mean, that's incredible. That's, that's huge. That's insane. It's insane. I mean, I to live. I, I would I wish I saw that. I mean, it would have been amazing to have lived in that era. You didn't even enjoy it. You were alive and you don't even fucking know. and long island's one and only pro sports team Mm -hmm. must have been very exciting for 72 so preceded me by a year right and what happened with the whalers did they become another franchise or they just went they became the hurricanes the The carolina hurricanes okay okay and they're in this movie too which is very funny because they it's uh North Stars Whalers. And I was I remarked to Michael when we were watching, I'm like, that is just a bizarre matchup that wouldn't happen anymore. That would be the Dallas Stars versus the Carolina Hurricanes now. So but seeing Mike Madonna and Basil McCray, it's very, very weird, especially Mike Madonna because he's so young. I know you don't you don't know who that is, but he's arguably the most famous Dallas Minnesota slash Dallas player ever. OK. And he's like 20 years old in that shot of him. He barely says anything. He's just all squirrely in the background. As the other Those are the two dudes coming off the ice yeah, yeah, yeah. talking to Emilio Estevez. OK. I knew there was somebody, but I didn't know who they were. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's who they were. OK. I wanted to ask you about something in the beginning of the movie, actually, and we, we learn about it throughout the film. But what do you think about the 1973 Pee Wee Championship? He triple deeks, hits the post. And they lose and they have the iconic all the 
championship load banners and then there's that one banner which is so funny where it's a second place who the fuck would do that very weird no one does that but uh a lot of pressure and a lot of abuse that you find out this kid kind of withstands but you don't really see it you know what i walked away from this and this will be i'll be interested to see what you think about with this with riley coach riley who's an awesome character is i don't know that he's as He's an asshole and he's not great, but I don't know if he's as bad as he came off when I was younger because you don't really know. He says at one point, I taught you how to skate. I taught you how to win. Right. You know, clearly like he was formative in this kid's life, knew his dad, played with him for six years as his his pupil. And we don't really get a good look at why their relationship fell apart, except for the fact that it was Gordon who didn't want to play anymore. There's no indication that Riley kicked him off the team or said you couldn't be on the team anymore. Now you see that at the end of the championship game against the Ducks when he's like, none of you will make the team next year if, if we lose it. So obviously he's, but they're almost like playing up the villainous arc in some way as the movie goes on, because in the beginning you're like, I don't really know. This guy's obviously morally gray and a little crazy, but I had hockey coaches that were not very many shades away from this guy. And I liked those coaches. We won. We were fucking good. You know, really good and if i played for a team like the hawks i'd be like you know this is what it requires is some fucking nut crazy ass nhl style coaching of these <laughs> 10 year olds and that's what they were getting but i just i just I'm, I'm i'm feeling a little bit of revisionism about coach riley and i'm wondering what you thought of this character and what you thought about the whole formative experience in that 1973 championship hitting the post <laughs> hitting the post it's so much pressure for a kid mm-hmm. i feel like they would put that banner up in the 70s the first thing i'm thinking is 73 that's the year i'm born so you're coming into a very different culture, even than the 90s, because I think it was pretty harsh. I mean, you could speak to this, Kyle, about that pressure cooker situation. And that's an interesting thing about you, too, is you saying that coaching style, that losing is unacceptable, win by any means. It's about winning. Let's really try to get a W, that that coaching style could work for you because I can understand the motivation for a kid, but... Putting it on a kid, especially in a penalty shot, like do or die situation like that is pretty insane. First of all, I think the kid who plays young baby Gordon Bombay is hilarious. I don't know what it is about that kid. The kid's face. He's making weird faces. Why is he always making a weird face? And and you think like that's the best shot you got? Like there's the shot he's skating backwards. The, la- the very last time you see him when he's on the ice with his dad, and he's like, one more, sh- one more shot, dad, or one, you know, five more yeah, minutes. Right, right. And then he's skating backwards. It's like, what are you doing with your face? I'm glad that you called that out because that was in my notes. He looks, he looks hapless. Like he's just, he was just put there. Like somebody like plopped him down. And he looks completely out of sorts. And, and he's kind of got the Garfield eyes. He's like half lidded. He's hilarious. I mean, he's such a, he's such a character just to look at. But, you know, I can understand the situation. And first of all, I like what you're saying about Coach Riley, because if you just take the player, if you just take Lane Smith as an actor, he played a villain in so many 80s and 90s TV movies and made for TV movies that that dude is just a household name in terms of look at that villain. But right. Like you think of like Dallas, Knott's Landing, whatever he played villains on, like he's the consummate character actor villain which i think is hilarious but the thing about coach riley is you don't know what his you don't know any of his backstory like why is he so driven to win so 
he becomes like the one dimensional bad guy wears black villain where you don't know why he's motivated that way. You just know that he's pushing these kids too hard, which for me as an adult now looking back at a practically an 80s movie, it's it comes off as comedy kind of because it's it's corny, right? It's just it's it's a very un very unidimensional tale of good versus evil. Right. And I think that's I think that's hilarious. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. First of all, Lane Smith died in 19 or in 2005, which is very sad. Oh, man. Six, that's a long time. He died at 69 years old. Oh, which shit. means Riley was. Fifty six. In this. Yeah. Yes. Living a little rough back then. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't age well. No. When did the, when did actors start, or just people in the public purview? When did they start aging better? Somewhere in the two thousand. I feel like people just generally started aging better. It's like I feel bad talking about it because it sounds so misogynistic, but it's just especially noticeable. No, with it's women. a thing. It's just we're just women. It's why we when we, all these eighties movies we watch where it's like, oh, this, this chick's like, oh, I'm the hot. 21 year old I'm like you look like you're 38 it's not an insult I'm just telling you that that's what you look like you don't look like you're 21 I don't know what I don't know what the fuck is going on with these yeah, movies it's weird you know, very weird so he looks it's like much, much older than that but Lane, <laughs> Lane Smith you are missed my friend yeah it's funny dig because and I wanted to get your take on this just from your youth sports experiences because yours was more with baseball and football but for me hockey was the only youth sport I really played continuously I played a little I played a little league a little bit and I really only have very scant memories. I, there's this one specific summer league I played um, with my friend Tim, who and his dad was the coach. And I remember that being a lot of fun, but I wasn't very good at baseball. I, I actually remember I was I they used to make fun of me. Is Fred Kotcher, R.I.P. Of course, I remember being making fun of me because I would never swing because no one can. I was so short, no one can get the strike zone, so I would just constantly walk. And I'd be like, I'd rather just get a fucking walk, dude. And then I'd steal and do you know whatever I could, maybe get a, get get a run, but never get a RBI or anything like that. But because I wasn't swinging the bat, and he was like, swing the swing, and I'm like, no. And then they would stick me in right field, and I used to get so mortified when the ball would come at me when a lefty would come up like me because I'm a lefty, as you know. So lefties would pull right, uh, think Giambi or something like that. Sure, yeah, and. Uh, and so I'd always be like, oh, fuck, because you can kind of like be out to lunch. That's why you stick the worst player in right field. You know? Oh, absolutely. Stick him out there with the dandelions. But I was ho- out there, man. Oh, yeah. It's that's where you that's where you go. But hockey, <laughs> I was I, w- I played at a pretty high level, actually, and not immediately because I started kind of late. I started playing hockey in third grade, like in a league. I started really messing around skating and stuff when I was in first and second grade. But that's late. Uh, and you really learn that when you play in more competitive places where, you know, if you go to Canada or in New England, where it's very, very serious. And uh, but I caught up and I played. It's funny because watching this, they're peewees. I played two years of peewee hockey in travel leagues, just like the one that they're showing here. And. Um, I was laughing at so many different things in it because it was really fun and it was really formative and we were really good. Actually, one of those years was the year I had a very serious coach and we won the state state championship that year. And, uh, but I was laughing at all the little th- different, like, je ne sais quoi in this movie that I was making Michael laugh. I was like, they have an announcer. There's like fans in the crowd. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like just take it from me. I played pretty high level travel hockey. No one gives a flying fuck what you're doing until you are in, <laughs> until you're in high school or bantams or something juniors, obviously. 
I'm like, you're 10 years old. No one gets, they're showing like these fake newspaper clippings. And I'm like, there's something, nothing like this ever happened. No one gave a shit. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, maybe That's you get a little write up or something in, the, in like a newspaper in Portsmouth or something. But no one, the one thing I do regret is because I think this has changed is that they have been keeping like historical statistics in these leagues because of the internet and whatever that all exists on, I think on hockeydb.com and other places. And I'm like, damn, dude, I just missed that because I would have, I used to keep my own stats and I used to try to keep the stat. I used to love that stuff, obviously. And I used to try to keep the stats for my own. And I used to do box scoring sometimes for other games when I was a kid where you like control the clock and the scoreboard and all that for other games. And I would keep, I'd keep track of shots on net and all that kind of stuff. I love that. Kind That's of stuff. a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And I actually got yelled at a few times because I forgot the, the, I don't know if this is like this in every arena, but in our arena in Dover, New Hampshire, where I played most of my quote unquote career, the, the clock simply started with a light switch. And then when you wanted to stop the clock, you would just, the light switch would go down and you'd have to be on, you know, they, you'd, put it down, wait for them to drop the puck. And then, and there were a few times, especially in more serious games, we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> and yelling at you or with, with um, power play stuff. Cause then there are different switches. And I'm like, that I'm literally too like much 12 years old. Definitely not supposed to be doing this. Like his mom's pulling strings behind the scenes. Cause we have That's friends there. Awesome. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like trying to keep up with the, the box score and the, the the refs coming up to talk to me to tell me about penalties and all the who scored because they'll come up to you and be like 30 from 19 and 20. And that means that third, you know, 30 scored assisted by 19 and 20. And so you write that down. So they get credit for their stats. And then it's like number four, two minutes for boarding. And they'll just like skate, skate by and then you're like, all right, number two boarding. And then you have to put the thing on the clock. And then you have your hands on both switches, so they both run at the same time. Yeah, I I'm really, sure it's yeah, not like that me. anymore because that's it's probably not analog like that anymore. But that's the way it was. <laughs> Very funny, man. We talked about the limo on the ice scene. I love this scene. This is an iconic scene from Mighty Ducks. I love it for multiple reasons. I love Bombay's confidence, especially when Charlie's mom comes around and be like, "I grew up on the ice." Hell yeah, you did, Gordon. And by the way, I don't know why the fuck I missed out that his name is Gordon, probably after Gordy Howe. And I don't know why I didn't realize oh. that until he calls him. Hey, Gordy, like his dad. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I've seen so this movie 5,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> but I was curious what you thought about the, the limo shot. I love thinking about the kids getting into the limo with their skates. I can only imagine the thousands of dollars in upholstery damage they did to that limousine. What did you think about that? That scene, uh, that iconic scene. And of course the limo driver who doesn't get enough credit as being a, a pretty great character. I don't Love think that I, what is his name? I don't even think I have it written down. Yeah. I wonder if I have him. Let me see. I Mr. don't know what, who, what he's named in the movies. It's just a driver comes kind of comes the assistant coach or the mascot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He is like the assistant coach. Cause he's like there during the celebrations, but they never really acknowledge him at all. No. He's they just on the chair on the ice about. and the kids are pushing him. He does, he's kind of got, he doesn't have any, any lines really, not much. Yeah, I wonder what that was all about too. Because yeah, you get, he gets a little bit of airtime in the beginning when he talks about how he was the bus driver for Grand Funk Railroad, which, oh, is, hyster- right. which is hysterical. <laughs> yeah, he, I love he, he has that roadie. He's like a driver bodyguard. You could see him as a roadie type And guy. then he has a great line though where he says, uh, and I, I, but I have no regrets except for the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, gr- a really great line and you're right that this movie feels like an extension of the 80s right on down to that limo so talk yeah. to me a little bit about that yeah i think it and it aged well yeah the the limo scene is great first of all the design of that limo very 80s 
pulling on the ice. I love the Twin Cities setting too. Like yeah. setting this in Minneapolis was kind of cool. It's not. It's refreshing because you would think Northeast, maybe Canada, but I like I like the Twin Cities bit. That's so, and then that plays into the Mall of America later on, and you got you got the whole thing going on. Or you know what? I I immediately thought, all right, early '90s, late '80s, John Hughesy, it's going to be some sort of Chicago. Illinois suburban Chicago thing. And I put in that setting was kind of cool. I kind of dug that, but I like it has, this movie's filled with a lot of iconic things like that. What like just driving on the ice, things that kids would be fun, you know, think would be fun. Like cra- these poor kids crowding into a limo, who cares? Bill it to the law firm type thing. And, th- and that whole thing too, of rich and poor. And later on, this will sort of play into things too, with the bank's character it's more, like you said earlier, it's more implied than pounded over our heads. Like, we understand these kids are a little destitute. The Hawks come from a different neighborhood where their their zone, right, is a little bit, they're probably a little wealthier over there. And we get it, but you don't have to hit us over the head with it. It's not really talked about. It's implied. And I thought that was kind of neat. Like, and kid, they weren't spoon feeding everything for a kid's movie. It's a little more sophisticated than that. Bro, how funny was it? I actually was fucking hysterical when I figured when I realized this at the end of the movie when Adam Banks' dad is sitting with the Hawks fans <laughs> at the championship game and he has a Hawks jacket on. So he is a Hawks fan before he doesn't give a fuck about what his son does. He is there to root for that Hawks team through and through sitting with them. No one thinks that's weird. I feel bad for him, though. Th- think about it, right? He's in his neighborhood. He's got his fellow accountants, mm-hmm. right? The, he knows the, the, he's got all the other friends' dads. Those are his pals. What is he just going to walk away from the group? He didn't really do any. The, his only sin is really just being a snob. No, totally. Yeah, he didn't do anything. But I just I loved that where I was like, he cho- He made his choice. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> all right. Wait, let me think here about what I want to. Yeah, this is a next a good next topic here as I look through my notes is what do you think about winning at all costs? Mm. This is where I wanted to get back to your youth experiences with sports. And if you got you were ever on like really good teams, because I've been on I've been on really, really championship level teams and I've been on horrible last place teams. I've been on both of them and I've been on some teams in the middle, but actually I was mostly on great teams. And then in high school, I was on horrible teams and that was the end of the line for me. So I never really got that middle like we're 12 and 12 or something. I was always like we're. 24, two and one, or we are one 28 and one. Yeah, that's know? interesting. And I, one of my teams in high school was one 28 and one. <laughs> and I was the goalie of that team. That's you can imagine how so that was. That was awesome. Especially getting it all blamed on you all the time, right? Like you like you're supposed to stop every fucking shot. Basically playing with people with one leg. I mean, that was like what it was like playing with in some of those. Actually, it was good wow. because I, I saw our friend our friend of the family, Pete, who was my hockey coach, his dad was my hockey coach in high school and he died and Pete took over the team. And I saw him at Allie's wedding when our sister got married and we, we were in a corner talking, shooting the shit for like an hour. It was, it was really weird seeing him, but that was the, those teams were horrible. And I had said before that those teams were so bad that teams I played for when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade would have obliterated my high school team straight up. Just if you took them at the time, and put them again, we would have killed them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I've I've seen it all. And the reality is, and this is why maybe I'm a little sympathetic with the winning at all costs thing, is that it is a lot more fun when you win. Oh, I'll tell you that right now. And because it's not because you're winning per se. 
it's because you're playing the game right and you're seeing results. You go to practice two or three times a week, like I used to in New Hampshire, play games twice a week. So you're on the ice five times a week, sometimes six. If you have another practice or whatever, early morning, late night practice, if you want to get things together and you execute on these things and they work, you go into these games where you probably shouldn't win and you win or you hold your own. I, I have just, and these are, again, they're just, they're meaningless memories because they're just youth hockey memories, but of going into these games against real, I remember this one, one game I played in when I was a goalie, which is a very low scoring tight game. And just being like, that was awesome. Like we, we, and it was against this really great team and conquered the capital of New Hampshire. And, uh, I carry those memories with me because it was fun to win. I remember the people and the coaches and, and the work it took to win and the study even it took to win. And then when I got to high school and it was taken much less seriously and we practiced once a week and we played once or twice a week and we barely liked each other and we didn't have any camaraderie and we had people that were really good and people that were really bad on the same team. And it's like, we well, can't win and it sucks. And then everyone starts to hate each other more and then you melt down and you don't want to fucking play and that's kind of the experience that I, I went through. So I'm sympathetic to that. You don't want to win at all costs, but I can relate. I had a, a coach that used to pull me if we were tied, which is a very unusual thing to do. And actually, you see that in the movie when they're, they need to win to get into the playoffs. But my coach, his name was Mickey. If we were tied like 2-2, we would get a point in the standings. He was like, I don't want a fucking point. You know, and he'd pull me and get another skater out there. But we could just lose. And we oh, did wow. sometimes. You know, so... I get it. You know, I, I you want to win and it does make the sport fun. It it absolutely does. The team in first place has a lot more fun than the team in last place. I guarantee you. And it's not just from winning. It's from playing the game at the highest level. So I'm, I'm just curious if you had any experience with that and. Uh, you know what, what, what it was to win and if winning meant anything to you or means anything to you. Yeah, it's a great question, man. I mean, I think back to my childhood with sports and I did. Basically, out the, the main four sports growing up, right? Football, baseball, hockey, got my tooth knocked out with a hockey stick, street hockey, the whole thing, and I shot hoops. So those are the four things. And I loved each one of those things and was invested on various levels, but was never very good at them. But I was motivated to get better. It's just that I really ultimately had no talent. The only thing I did competitively starting back in T-ball four or five years old was baseball. And... I was always the kid. I had a really bad arm. And I still think the key with baseball as a kid is if you're, is just courage. If you're not afraid of the ball, if you could train yourself to not be afraid of the ball, especially standing in the batter's box with the bat in your hand, that's the key. If you could get over that hurdle, you could probably get good at baseball if you have a modicum of athletic ability. But I really didn't. I was terrified of the baseball. And I was the kid stuck out with the clover in right field, right? And was never really given the chance. Although I was a good, I was really good defensively with a glove, even though my arm was poor and I was fast. And it wasn't until I had a coach a little later on, like pre-junior high school, this coach named Joe, who said, who moved me into the infield and put me in the middle infield, usually at second base, which I would argue is the least skillful infielder and the least pressure position of the entire infield. But it was an entry for me to get out of the outfield and see a little more action. And you know what? Just feel a little more important, right? I didn't, first of all, I didn't have the arm to be in the outfield. So it was actually a good move for me. And then they could bat me in a spot where I would probably struggle to get on base, maybe with a walk or a base hit, 
right? Maybe I'd pop it. I'd bloop it into the shallow outfield and then I could steal a base. And he was the one to really, Joe was the first one to offer me some encouragement of like, maybe I could play this game. But by the time I got to high school, not only did I find skateboarding, but I kind of realized I'm a, you know, there's no, there's really no way that I could probably even play on a high school level. Even if I got onto the high school team early on in high school, I'd probably warm the bench. So that was, and I found skateboarding. And for me, I think that more formless sort of do it your own way style of, you know, that no rules type of thing with skateboarding where you just kind of learn it at your own pace and do your own thing. It's a little more punk rock in that regard. That really is what registered with me, but also that I was just good at it. I found like a lot of people were afraid to stand on a skateboard and I hopped on this thing. I was like, I don't understand the big deal. So that was the first thing that was like, really, oh, I could be pretty good at this. So, and when it comes to winning, it's tricky, man, because I was, even in Little League, I guess I was always on mediocre teams. It was the opposite of you. I was never on like the winning championship team. I think we were probably, there was probably a few times where we were bottom feeders, you know, bottom of the barrel, maybe close to last place. But usually it seemed like I was on pretty mediocre ball teams. Always seemed like a couple of superstars on the team. And then people like me that weren't that great was maybe made up the majority, like 75 to 80% of the team, the squad, you know. But winning is tricky because I think the frustrating thing about losing is if you really care about something and you're invested and you're putting in the effort, I think losing is extremely aggravated and frustrating if you're, if you're kind of operating on both of those fronts. Whether you're losing because of others on the team or because of your own inadequacies, losing is just frustrating if you care and you're really invested and you're really trying your best. Then losing is going to be a real drag. But I think in the rare, okay, you know, the, those rare times when the team is really operating on all cylinders, everybody's giving their best, everybody's getting along, communicating, really giving it that all invested team effort and you're still losing, it's probably okay because you know you're doing your best. And the other part of that is fun. Can it still be fun if you're losing? I think about skateboarding. Like skateboarding wouldn't have been fun for me if I couldn't do eventually do the things with work that I wanted to do. Right. If I was learning how to kick if I was trying to learn how to kickflip for five years and I was like, I can't do this, that's not going to be fun. But if you put the time and effort in and you get better and you evolve, that was always the fun for me. So I don't have enough team experience to, to know, like, would I, would I have stuck with hockey, for instance, if we were constantly losing? I don't know. But if I, I, I want to think if I was myself getting better as a goalie or as an offensive hockey player or as a batter in baseball or if I was a quarterback and learning how to throw further, then that evolution would be what propelled me my own evolution because you kind of know right like you're going to jump from team to team as you grow up you're going to be in different leagues you're going to be at different levels you're going to go from freshman to jv to varsity so i don't know how much i i think i would probably be more inclined to think that way like what can i bring to each team as i grow and as i get older and as i go into this league and as i go on maybe i'm good enough to make a travel league that type of thing, you know, the thing, the thing I think about with you is when you're really good at something like you were really good at hockey and you play deep into your 
for, you know, high school career, let's say, that must be a weird thing to get hip to the notion or hip yourself to the notion of, okay, what do I do from here? Can I go to the college level? And then from there, can I go to minors? Do I have a chance at the majors? Can I be involved in this somehow off the ice? What was that like? Because I was never good at it enough at anything to even get to that point of the conversation. Oh, yeah. I was disabused of any notion that I would play in a good college program in high school just because the caliber of my team wasn't wasn't high enough. So I had bad stats. I was atrophying probably in quality. I was making a lot of saves, but who wants a goalie on a team on a team like that? You know, but I do think that I was on a trajectory in my middle school years, especially to play at a hockey East level school, which I went to a hockey school, but I didn't play for the team. And that's a team that produces NHL players. I don't know that you kind of, I guess what I'm saying is like, and on, on one hand, I'd have to be kind of delusional to think that I would ever have played at that level. And the other hand is like, I'm not really quite sure because I think I was on a trajectory. I definitely played with contemporaries that ended up making it, you know, people that I played around did make it. And mom and I were just talking about one of the goalies I played with uh, Steven, who was a good friend of mine who played at a high level in hockey or uh, college. And then I think he went and played in the minors for a while and stuff. So who knows what would have happened. But I think that during that time in high school, I'd, I had no illusion that I was, cause I was going to see mom at Northeastern who, cause she worked there and uh, I would go to hockey games and it's like the, the, you could see the level that these guys were playing at. It's like, it's comical to think that I would ever be on this team. But there was you a time realize when, that at some point. Yeah. But there was a time when I thought for sure that that's what I wanted to do and I would have done. And maybe if I stayed and playing at that level the whole time, stayed on like travel teams instead of playing for high school, a high school team. You know, if I stayed in New England, it would have went differently. But I picture you, Dakes, you turn in those four, six, three double plays. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I should say this too, Colin. Mm. I'm not one of those skateboarders, those aging skateboarders who's like, fuck sports because the truth of the matter is, especially with baseball, and I still feel this way about baseball specifically, is that ultimately I loved baseball a lot more than baseball loved me. Mm. And I realized that even as a pretty young kid in like fifth or sixth grade, that I probably would have went on to want to play that game because I really did enjoy it. But I knew that at a certain point, I guess it was a waste of time and I, you know, by proxy, I was very, I found skateboarding and maybe part of that was my decision to invest in something new and dedicate my time to something that not only I enjoyed, but that I could actually get, you know, it's very rewarding when you find something that you actually click with physically, right? So that was a big part of it with me was that I guess there was a little heartbreak there, especially because I had a friend, my friend, my best friend, John, growing up, who was quite good at baseball. He was very good. The only reason he didn't really go on and play beyond high school, I think, is because he just lost interest. He had a killer arm and could hit the ball. He was strong. He was a strong kid. So that was part of it for me was that I just found something that, you know, it didn't love me back. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of sad. I hear that. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that that, I think maybe a lot of people more than you would think kind of come to that realization at some point that things aren't quite what you, you have to kind of dissuade yourself of those childhood thoughts of, I'm going to be a astronaut. I'm going to be, it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. That's just like living in reality though. I would, I think it would have been insane for me to have gone and tried out at Northeastern. First of all, walking on the team, which you don't do. You're invited onto the team, but they, they have tryouts because they have to, and they might take like one person 
And it's like, it's not, it's not happening for me. It would have been a great story to tell, though. It would have been very, very like Rudy almost, you know? Yes, like, exactly. Do you really want it like that? Rudy's awesome. I love that story. It's a really wonderful and heartfelt and powerful story. But do you want it like that? Where they're, you're basically like, you know, the and I'm not trying to be mean, but it's like, the, you know, like the, the retarded kid or whatever who like everyone's like, let, let him shoot a basket. It's like that's cool for him because that's the best of his potential. He he can't he's not working on the same level. He doesn't have the same potential. You let him have that moment and everyone feels good. But it's likely that he might not even know any better as to know that that's like a celebratory moment. But if you're just on the up and up in some way, it's like, do you want it like that? And that's that to me, I've always thought about as well. It's like, yeah. I, I want it the right way or not at all. That's you a know? fair point. Yeah, there's a lot of integrity in that. I get that. Sure. I'm sure there's a different word than retarded I could have used, but I, I couldn't think of it at the time. <laughs> My kids would not like that you just said. <laughs> They're very defensive about that. Yeah, why? Why? Oh, it I, didn't do, age I, don't, right. I don't understand why that word, though. It's like that. I get like not using the word gay and all these other things, but like, let's come on, guys. Let's take it easy here. You know, we can't say something stupid through that word now. All right, fine. Whatever. You guys win. You always do. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I want to talk about a couple other things here that I thought were interesting. First of all, what do we think of, of Hans, the character of Hans, the old wise man who for some reason has a newspaper clipping of a second place performance on his wall for all of these years, 20 years. He's like, it's important to remember the past. I'm like, all right. I have two I words for you, Kyle. Huh? I have two words for you. Yeah. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course. I was shocked to see him in here. I was like, this guy is playing. Ross Ackland. Yeah. Right. Is that, is that lethal? That's Lethal Weapon 2. Yes. Where he plays the big bad. Yes. Uh, it's Origin Rudd or whatever. Gangster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He has the South African posse of badasses. I was so amazed to see him as a good guy to film. I immediately went to, of course, I immediately went to my beloved lethal weapon too but he was good in this but he played some sort of mentor slash father figure slash santa claus type guy but he i could not stop thinking about because his role is such a cartoon in lethal weapon Mm -hmm. i just went but it's nice to see a a character like this take a you know a character actor like this take a turn he could do both things he he works yeah when we did lethal weapon 2 we thought that was a very turn of the 90s movie too because it was all about apartheid yes at a time when that was kind of, I mean, it's still relevant, I guess, to this day in some ways, but it's, it was kind of becoming, coming to a head at that point. So yeah. It felt, oh felt yeah. Very, seriously. It felt very timely. Yeah. He's uh, he's interesting. I, I love the old mentor. He knows how he, he just comes in the back door and he knows it's Gordon. It's like, how the fuck did you know? And then you had the skates ready to go almost nail. I didn't like this because everyone who plays hockey knows you wear your skates as, as tight and as, as small as you possibly can. So he had the nerve to give Gordon a pair of skates a, a half a size too big and then tell him to wear big socks. No one would ever do that. You would. Oh, that's not a thing. No, definitely not. You want your skates as tight as possible. Sometimes I see these kids around the neighborhood on their rollerblades and they're skating and their ankles are like this. I'm like, dude, you can't skate like that. Like you, you either need to tighten that thing up or get off those skates. I can't believe how ankle. hard it is to skate. I think I told you this briefly. I, Lilia got really in Lilia and her friends got really into ice skating and that was the thing they did all year round ish because skating and hockey is pretty big around here, which I think is kind of weird for Philly, but it's just the thing. 
And that's what they did. Instead of going to the movies or going bowling, they went ice skating and Lilia got good at it and she enjoyed it. And she had an ice skating party or one of her friends did and it must've been hers. And I had to get on the ice. This was about five years ago. Never ice skated in my life. Never did any winter sports. Never got on a snowboard really. Never skied. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Not even that. Yeah. And I could not believe how horrified. Because I went in very intrepid. Like, how hard can this be? That was my attitude. And, dude, I was horrified. I got the skates on and was having trouble walking from the carpeted bench area to the ice. Like, I don't, and I don't, you know, at that point I was in my mid-40s ish but i was properly frightened and it took me the whole day to be able to really the better part of the day to let me help me just let go of the wall i was really struck by how difficult ice skating is if you guys have never tried it don't judge (laughs) do not judge yeah it's it's uh it is hard tough yeah ice skating is is tough and uh it's muscle memory which is good when i get back on the ice or when i rollerblade and stuff it's just it's fine because you just kind of know how to do it but the the thing that's how I know your skates were probably too loose because the the one mm. I always tell people you want tighten them as much as possible. In fact, when you play hockey, I'm sure this is still a thing. But when I was a kid, you used to sometimes people even had these like metal hooks where you would use them to pull as tight as you can on the laces. And the laces were I've always like that. Yeah. Where you would pull as tight, 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 like tighter than your hand could possibly withstand. Because if you make them as tight as possible, your ankle can't bend. Right. And so it's you rigid. Yeah. So like you're you can't you're not going to go like this. You're either going to stand up or you're going to fall completely. And that's why you have to be on your edges and all that. But that will that's the, the secret to good skating is tight, small skates. I wear a, a size 10 shoe and my skates, I think, are eight and a half or nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did that ever give your feet problems? Yeah. Like I used to dude. it's it, like uh, smash your foot into these skates, like, you know, like smash them into the skate. It's like a geisha. When I went and got rollerblades in L.A., I went to this like really nice, famous hockey shop there. And they have this machine even that like sizes your foot the way a boot, a hockey boot should be sized, like not the way a shoe is sized, which they give you a little room. So like it's it's just on top of you. So it should be somewhat difficult to get on and get off. Like you have to to have effort to get them on and off. But yeah, it's a it's a thing. But if you do that, if you take that, make that sacrifice, and I'm sure a lot of people that go to free skate and all these things don't do that. And they tie them like they're tying shoes and all that. It's like, well, you're never going to learn how to skate. <laughs> you're never going to skate on a, on a boot that's not like this with the blade. You're not going to skate on a blade like this. So you need to just be like this. See that? But that's one of those little authentic touches, would be authentic touches that didn't make the movie that a skater or a hockey player like you, that's a, automatically a red flag. It's like get those little to have a have somebody advising on the movie to make it a little more just a little more genuine. Yeah, I think that I think that yeah, just it doesn't matter. But I think a Gordon, if he was real, would have been like, all right, I guess like I don't think he would have eagerly taken. Although I do love that scene because I the sound is so good in that scene where the boots are hitting against each other and like the blades. And it's like, that's the way hockey sounds. And when he gets on when he I love the sound of hockey. And when he gets on, the, he's on. First of all, I wish I, I lived in a place where you could just go at a, on a bench in your town and just go on. I, it's like, this is fucking awesome. You know, where they're Duluth or wherever they are. So I I love the sound of him skating around and, and just the, the puck hitting the, the boards and games and the puck hitting the post. And there's just the sounds of hockey really well done in this. 
And right on down to that scene, that quiet scene in the shop that late night where the boots hit together. I'm like, that's the way it sounds like that. Wow. That's cool that you know that. Yeah, it's powerful. It was it was I love hockey. And the one thing I can relate to about him is that I loved hockey like he did. And it's so interesting that your life can change so much and time can pass that you don't even remember that era, really. Like it's like a, it's it feels like another time in in life where things don't really matter. But I did want to say I thought it was interesting. They have a team. I guess this is more reasonable than I thought when I wrote it down. But he said he needed fifteen thousand dollars to outfit his entire peewee hockey team that getting off kind of cheap, maybe not at that time. But that seemed a little weird. But they went and just Hans was killing it. They're basically laundering that money. They got all their new, their new stuff. What did you think about? Well, let me ask you this: the Oreo line. Let's go here. I wrote this down. <laughs> what do you think about calling it that? I don't know. Is it is it racist? I had to rewind it the first time. I was like, did they just say that? Because the movie really wasn't going into that type type of territory at all. It wasn't really getting that controversial. It was quite progressive in some sense because it represented, you know, had had girls and had. You know, especially Connie is like a main character in all the movies. And yeah, so so they they do pay attention. And even that that scene where they're like, you know, people when he's like, guys, I want to talk to you guys in the blonde figure skaters like people. I thought that was very contemporary. So then, yeah. So then but then you have this other thing where they're calling the two black guys playing it with a white center, the Oreo line. So I just didn't know what to make of that. You know, it's interesting because I was again, you're thinking back to when this formula started with things like Bad News Bears and they have all the tropes, right? They have the overweight kid. They have the spazzy kid. They have the wise ass. They have the kid with ungovernable rage. They have the New York Jew. They have the New York Jew. That's like, why is he there in 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 Minneapolis? Okay, fine. They have the really sweet and lovable kid. But you know what? They do things a little different. Like they have two black kids. They have two girls on the team. Like there's some there's something a little bit innovative with the, mm-hmm. the they they put a new bent on it. They skew it a little bit different than the other stuff, which I thought well, I noticed it. Let's and, put it that and way. And they do a great job in the second one. I think I in hindsight it, I didn't look at it this way because I just thought it was like, okay, that's representative of the world when I'm a kid. But especially in the sequel, you'll see they get like some new recruits who end up becoming like core Mighty Ducks. And one's Hispanic, one's Asian, another one's a girl, like and so on and so forth. So they do. They are trying to mix up. One's black, which I love. Yeah. Um, is it Kel? No, Keenan. Keenan Thompson is. Oh, is, he's in is, there. Yeah, is one of the, the like the new recruits in the second one. Oh, starting with the second one. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's nice to have a little mix of, of the old with the yeah, new. Yeah, like they basically what ends up happening big is they, and it's a joke actually. I did a I did a so, a Tamborelli is uh he plays you know little pete he he plays the redhead kid. Love that kid he came to ign to promote grand theft auto 3 and we did a video and we were talking and and we did we were talking i think about how mighty ducks like some of them were just removed for no reason in the sequel like they're like we're gonna take these guys and bring them forward and then like we're gonna lose these five or so oh and that's what ends up happening so like uh the black kids are out like the, the brothers that sucks i think yeah i think they're both out love those dudes yeah, the little like the little kid with like the leather jacket. Oh, uh, he's, he's out. out. And yeah, and so but then they add in like a bunch of new guys who end up and then they they don't really add anyone else in the third one. It's just them. So but they they do like get very like they have like a southerner, like a southern guy and like okay. a, a, a guy from Miami who's like Hispanic and 
Yeah, so it's they, they, as a character designer, like yeah. I like mixing yeah. it up because it's interesting. But well, you know, they're doing it also to cast the widest net. They want to appeal to everybody. They want a kid to see themselves in somebody there. But it's so Every weird kid. as a kid. I didn't think anything of it. I mean, I'm sure other. I'm a, I was a white kid, but I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I was like, yeah. For me, it, it was always natural. like, I know kids. You want kids to relate, but for me, it was always the kid I wanted to be. Like, oh, I wish I was the tough ass, you know, the tough kid mm. with the with the leather jacket or, you know, if I, I wish I could be that mouthy or come up with a joke like that or whatever, you know. I loved Goldberg because he's from Philly. He's got the Philly gear. Even the, not only the Flyers, at some point he has a Pat's mm-hmm. cheesesteak shirt yeah, and on, he, right? They keep that going in all of them, like that he's like a Philly guy or whatever. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's kind of a, it, it's for no reason. It's just one of those little things that's just like a main line that they just play it through like one of those little character notes that's doesn't mean anything f- but it's fun in the second film they'll yeah you'll find it funny there's like a you meet his family a little bit and like just very briefly and they have a picture and it just says and it's like a picture of him and it says our son the goalie or whatever I, mean, I just always thought that was hysterical <laughs> like in their restaurant or whatever speaking of all this i mean who are some of the players that stuck out to you so i mean i'll go through here you have you have Charlie, who is the main character in all three movies and played by Joshua Jackson, who obviously goes on to become famous later on from Dawson's Creek. And then he did that move, that show. What is that show that takes place in Montauk? That was on HBO. I'm looking it up now. Um, the Affair. Yes. I don't know it. Oh, it was on Showtime. Yeah, I watched that. And he was in that, too. And yeah, it took place on Long Island. That, that was writing this down. I never heard of this. And he was really good in that, too. But, uh, you know, so you have him, you have, um, let's see, Jesse, you have Goldberg, Averman, Peter Mark, who's a little kid, Carp, Jermaine, Moreau. So Guy and Connie end up in all of them. Like I oh, said, Ter- cool. Juicy Smollett, like I said, plays Terry Hall, which is hysterical. Adam Banks, obviously a main character. So yeah, who any of these kids stick out to you? They do a pretty nice job. It's a brisk movie and they do a deep... I wish that they stuck around for like another 20 minutes to just kind of flesh a few things out. I think the story moves a little too quick and I'll get into that, but... It does. They, they do a nice job of kind of giving us some different characters to work with here. And I, I like... I find them quite lovable, this cast of goons. Yeah, you know what? There are a lot of characters to take stock of in a short amount of time, but they do okay with it. They, yeah, they, they touch, get to touch on everybody a little bit. You know, what's funny, man, has this ever happened to you? The Charlie character, Joshua Jackson, that Joshua Jackson is a proper celebrity. I mean, I think at Dawson's Creek, he's a, he's, he was a household name and a, and a face. Everybody would recognize very distinctive. I never knew that actor's name. I never knew that guy, that guy was called Joshua Jackson. I think of somebody else in Dawson's Creek like James Vanderbeek, right? You know James Vanderbeek, you know who he is, you know the characters he played. That's one of the thing, one of the weird things. I never knew that guy's real name. Has that ever happened to you before? Oh yeah, all the time. I don't know anyone's name. You I was know, like, what? I, That's his name? I see actors sometimes, especially character actors where like I've seen you in twenty things. I have no idea who you are. Though. Like you just know it's like oh this guy's it's time for this guy to show up here. I, I'm I'm horrible with celebrity names. I'm horrible with names generally. Actually. Yeah, Helene's like that too. She's not a good. She's not good with names. Usually that doesn't happen to me though. And I'm like wow, that is weird that I never knew because that guy's in like Ocean's Eleven in the in the beginning. I think of the first movie, and I was like wow, how did I never know that guy's name? Because I know his face in two notes. So that's a strange thing, but I love the cast. And you know that they also have the Fulton character who's like the street tough kid. Who's not really, you know, he's not even a hockey player. He's 
they they kind of just regroup him, and that's reminds me of Bad News Bears, which is interesting. And then, of course, you know what? This is the whole thing that really impressed me. This is when I knew the movie had me. They have the whole thing going on with the team, the coach who's going through his own character arc, right? And he's trying to help these young kids, and it plays into his backstory. And then they have the story of the really sweet kid on the team, and now the coach and him are bonding, and you know this kid's fatherless. So the coach is kind of becoming slowly becoming the surrogate dad, and there's a romance kindling with the with the kid's mom and everything like that. And then on top of that, I thought this was really impressive. On top of that, they put the whole story in with the rich kid, with the rival kid on the Hawks, who now has to play on the team with them. And they're like the hated rival. And I thought that was a whole added dimension that wasn't probably even necessary. And the fact that they juggle all those things, and now you got the Draco Malfoy character coming to play for the Gryffindors. You know, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I've never seen a a kid movie try to do that much. Like they go one step further than they really had to. And so now you have a whole nother side story happening and a whole nother thing to pay attention to with the, with the dad and the kid you kind of feel bad for because he's a quote unquote bad guy, right? He's a rival. He's the enemy, but all this kid really wants to do is play hockey. So he's not really a bad guy. And then you kind of feel bad for him because he's not, he's really not accepted at first. He's seen as, you know, he's seen as an outsider. I thought that was really neat. Like this movie did more again, like than it had to do. They could have kept it simple for kids mm. and they get, they give you a little more meat. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I think that's, I think this movie holds up incredibly well. I don't know. It's part of its nostalgia because that time period, especially for us. But yeah, I, I was really impressed by having that sort of arc with the, with the rich kid coming to play for the, 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 the underdog team. Yeah. I like that too. And it, I guess the point of it is to is to I guess show the the conniving kind of a manipulation that Gordon is willing to go into because he 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 gets into the minutia. I know he's like it's very lawyerly. First he tries to get them to cheat, which obviously turns them all off. But then he tries to find and does find this technicality where you know Riley ends up losing his shit on him and all of that. But they end up getting banks, and it's funny when they get banks then they walk out of the locker room on him but then he scores the first goal in the championship game and they all hug him and love him (laughs) this is what i'm talking about about the the movie moving a little too quickly is why are things happening where you're not explaining or you're not like getting to the bottom of it quicker so for instance the overhearing the conversation when like the team doesn't show up for him and they have to forfeit that game which you know they they almost blow their playoff position for this or whatever why didn't he just go like, what is your pro? What are you guys talking about? And then just explain to him. I was talking, you know, sarcastically, which he does later, but just explain. This is the frustration I have with movies sometimes and TV shows and just storytelling generally is this. This drama is totally unnecessary simply because someone is refusing to acknowledge the reality of the situation. Like, why would you let that fester and pretend that nothing happened and just let them all walk away? And they, they think they're right and all that. Why? Why? So I just wish that they spent a little bit more time letting these things breathe a little bit because it doesn't even make a lot of sense when they become good. They, they only show them practicing a little bit when they show them playing as division five in the beginning, they're horrible. I mean, it, it, they, they need to do more than just that to win hockey games. I know it's supposed to be a movie, but you could have given us a little bit more of a, of like a buildup. Seems like things kind of happen in acts, which they do literally, but 
that we don't really get much segue between them. They're horrible, then they're competent, then they're good, then they're great, but we don't really know why other than they're bonding at the Minnesota North Stars game, they have new players, they're bonding at school and all the rest. I don't know. That that to me was a little bit of a a mystery. Not so much then as it is now. I don't I don't think it bothered me at all back in the yeah, day. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. I I, can't, I hate to keep taking it back to the Bad News Bears, but that movie, that first Bad News Bears does exactly that. There's two really good players on the team and the rest of them pretty much suck generally. And part of the arc is that those two players carry the team on their shoulders to the detriment of making everybody else feel useless. And the other, the team loses morale because of that. And then they have to come back from the team of like Kelly and the girl pitcher. I forgot her name. They have to basically concede to be members of the team, not do everything themselves. Like Kelly can't run around, play all the outfield positions, right? He's got to let Tanner make some mistakes or whatever. That was exactly what that movie did. And that this could have taken a page out of that where maybe the, that everybody was trying to, and that plays into the Gordon Ramsay thing too, where everybody's trying to be an individual. It was all based on baby Gordon's, you know, his penalty shot. It was all him. And he's that whole duck mentality of like the duck by itself is harmless, but the flock, the threatening flock of ducks. It's awesome. Love I'm it. here to argue that 20 ducks is just as toothless as a single duck. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they're not uh, just run through kicking. Like yeah, yeah. You just fucking they can't do anything. Do like a Zangief twisting <laughs> punch move. But I get the idea. Yeah, totally. I get the idea. Totally. But, you know, they could have done something like that. But yeah, it and it is. They they have to get through a lot. And you're right, though. It doesn't reach like a denouement. Like it doesn't reach that pinnacle of drama for them. Everything is basically played out in that last game, which I think is fun. And maybe they are juggling too much with the with the character arcs. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like there's no proper build up. They're just suddenly they're just suddenly kind of seemingly in contention. It's just film, I guess. You know, yeah, I just one of those things. It's just not it wouldn't have been harder to show us more. I'm wondering why they felt like they needed to be so quick. One hundred and forty minutes or so. One hundred and forty five minutes. Or, I'm sorry, not one hundred and forty five minutes, an hour. Forty five. One hundred and forty five minutes would have been a maybe more been. appropriate time <laughs> to show us. <laughs> Although maybe that breathe. would have been a little long. I'm wondering, Dave, if you have anything else that you wanted to say, because I've kind of touched on most of my points. I think there are some funny lines that are that are in here, like the <laughs> the uh, the scene where they're trying to convince Gordon to give Banks back or whatever. And he says, you guys cut a deal with the Pee Wee Hockey League, <laughs> which is a, which is a hysterical line. And um, Gordon stopped quacking. <laughs> happens during that as well but other than that i mean I, I don't know that i have so much else to say except for i want i want to say this i do want to get and again i was probably bothering micah so much during this because i was talking to her so much but i want to i've always they make them and i've always wanted to get a hawks jersey and a ducks jersey i think they would both be cool things to have i love the hawks logo and like just the ominous nature actually the bad guys in the second one iceland have an even cooler logo which is like a viking hell like a viking head it's oh, dope. Yeah, look it's that. super dope and it says Iceland, but it says Island. Like, I guess that's what Iceland is in. Oh, interesting. In Icelandic. Okay. So it's really, really neat. And that I, we have to do that at some point just because I want you to meet the the bad guy coach in that because he's fucking awesome. Wolf. I want to watch these. Wolf the Dentist Stanza is his name. 
and they have an amazing there's just an amazing rivalry in that movie. But yeah, it's a, it's a really that movie came out in 94. And I actually have funny memories of that because I remember watching that on VHS, that fat Disney VHS at grandma's house for some reason, probably around the time grandpa was sick, because that probably would have been 94, 95, something like that. Right. That would have been right there, right on time. Yeah. yeah. So I have vague memories of that as well. But um, as for this first movie, it's it's a very memorable film. I mean, it came out when I was in third grade. Mom had <sighs> left dad a few months before. Oh. So that was the year when dad and I were alone. And I remember seeing it with them. And yeah, it's it, and then having the poster. And yeah, I just always took this movie with me. I, I love hockey. And I don't think there are, a hockey movie comes along every once in a while. What was that movie? Mystery Alaska. Wasn't that a hockey, random hockey movie? I don't know other. And obviously Miracle, which is an awesome movie about the 1980 Olympics. And there, there are a few, but not very many. And not a lot. I would say other than this might actually be the most iconic hockey movie all told. I think that the maybe the funniest and most inappropriate would certainly be Slapshot. But that movie is special. That's the Paul Newman. Yeah, Paul Newman movie. OK, I wanted to tell you that movie is free on Amazon right now. Oh, awesome. It yeah. popped up out of nowhere because it's a little known movie. Yeah, that movie is. There Excellent, are some lines though. in that movie where I'm like, oh, my God, that is first of all, it's the most inappropriate thing you've, I've ever heard anyone say. Some of them. I don't know. Have you watched it recently? There's a there's a there's a, couple a scene, years ago. There's a scene of a fashion when they're doing a fashion show, like a local fashion show. Yeah, and some of the things they about. say in that scene, like you would not get away with saying today at all like throwing the f, no. f word around and you know all this kind of stuff it's like crazy you know um, that was not a fuck, special the other f word those the twins in that movie mm-hmm. they i don't forget their actual names yeah but the hansons the hat the hansons yeah. twins iconic yeah with their iconic. glasses they're just goons it's fucking hysterical <laughs> dude they're total goons that movie's <laughs> really goons, really yeah. fun. that movie's really really funny the hockey's better in that movie too actually than it is in this is it but it's it's like low-key you know minor league yeah schlock i mean it's supposed to be but that movie right, is that exactly, movie is fun. Right. That movie is more like Caddyshack to me. This movie is obviously much more of a, a children's fair, although with the Oreo line and the drunk driving, perhaps a little bit PG-13 in some ways and maybe even a little bit racist. But yeah, I'm curious if you have anything <laughs> else that you wanted to say that we didn't that we didn't touch on. You know, there's something you might be able to shed light on here. There was like a, a plot hole for me, unless I missed something, because again, I only saw it twice and you grew up with this movie. There's something in the in the beginning of the movie, and it, it's to set up the whole thing of Gordon being a winner and the fact that he can't tolerate losing, right? He's got this winning record, like he's never lost a case. But his secretary keep re, keeps reminding him that, no, you've lost one. He's like 36 and 0, and she's like, no, you're 36 and 1. But do they ever go into what that one thing is? Because I thought that they were going to play that into the plot somehow and i think they just drop it i think there is some sort of quib i think that's where he he says something like i i we don't count that one because i slept with the court reporter or something i think that that's all (laughs) so it's just that he's i think i think that that's yeah he like just doesn't just doesn't count it for a technicality (laughs) or whatever yeah so he's a winner but he's got all these characters then he goes into duckworth's office and he was basically saying like you don't need to spike like you can just win which is right. So interesting. And I, I again, as a kid, I just didn't understand the connection between his legal philosophy and his uh, and his hockey past, I guess. I don't know. I just didn't. I wasn't smart enough to make that connection. Yeah. There's another thing that they do with this movie, too, where they kind of they're sort of setting up Duckworth to be like the father figure. Right. And then he becomes the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And they, they kind of pull the rug out. And I'm, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I kind of liked that. I do, too, because it shows that he was a sellout. Like he didn't exactly. mean anything he said. 
yeah. the, to Gordon and Gordon could finally be free of like this dude's grasp because it didn't matter. He, he was a total fake anyway. I think, again, that was not I that was lost on me when I was a kid. I had no depth of knowledge of, as to why that mattered. But I think that that's like what it's all about is it kind of frees him and unencumbers him to not have to worry about this anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's so important to go back and watch movies from your childhood because you get so much more out of them. Sometimes it's rewarding and sometimes it's like the Dark Crystal where it's like, what the fuck? How did I like this movie? You know, but it's always sort of it is always rewarding in some regard because you always do get more. You you miss so much as a kid. I miss stuff. I mean, I probably should go back and revisit things from my mid teens because I didn't get them. You know, that type of thing where you're watching rated R movies now, but you can't get some of this stuff. Right. You just don't have enough wisdom. You haven't accrued enough experience. So, yeah, it's interesting. I like that where you have that seeming mentor in the beginning and then he's not as virtuous. And then you got the real guy in Hans, especially with his connections back to South Africa, diamond embezzling. Or yeah, whatever, whatever he was doing. doing down there. <laughs> yeah, I, I also um, I don't know if I'm wrong about this, but we I don't think we ever see coach bombay at home we have no idea where he lives you're absolutely right or like what he i don't think we like ever see how he rolls like out you see him alone sometimes but never you never see him in his home environment that's a great point yeah only in charlie's house where he's having dinner right, right? exactly huh that is interesting yeah, you wonder if they even went there and this just, just ended up on the cutting room yeah. floor. They just felt like it wasn't important because I missed it. Yeah, I wonder if there are any um, deleted scenes. Let's see. That is interesting. The Mighty Ducks deleted scenes. <clears throat> I guess there might be, but not anything too crazy. It doesn't look like. Yeah, nothing that nothing that shows any of this stuff. Oh, and this is, this is from Mighty Ducks 2, I think. Yeah, so I'm not seeing anything. And a whole fr- that Mighty Ducks animated series is interesting too. I never really knew about it. And then I had, we had listeners back when I was doing more commissioned artwork and they were huge fans of the series. I guess it's, it makes sense because they were, they were a lot younger and I had, they had me do a commission and that's the first time I really ever saw those character designs and stuff. And I was like, wow, the Mighty Ducks really did cross over into a franchise outside of the films and they had the animated series then they had the live action series for a couple of seasons and the gear you know the jersey i think that was a big thing in the disney store back when the disney store was a thing so it is it's it's interesting it's been around for a while had a lot of staying power yeah that that first duck like again they changed the ducks logo into the original mighty ducks logo from anaheim in the second film but they uh I love that first logo, just that fucking goofy duck with the hockey stick. It's like a mate. It's an awesome old school yeah. logo you'd see in like some sort of random farm team somewhere. It's nostalgic. And um, yeah, I, I so I thought that that was interesting that we never really get to know Gordon too well on a personal level, apart from these like these individual scenes at the law firm or in his car or in the limo or something. Just would have liked to see him at home a little bit more. Definitely. See what, see what he does. How does he unwind? What is is he? Is he? Res- is there a scene where he has to resist the booze? They don't ever really play with that. He doesn't no. have to. He, he doesn't. He's never tempted. He kind of just like, all right, I guess I'm not going to do this anymore. I just pictured like when they have this whole thing up on reels and it's on the movie and they're playing it back. They're like, wow, this guy's like a rampant alcoholic, and maybe we should cut back on that a little bit. Maybe we should just, you know, 
let's let's do the drinking and driving as a one-off right (laughs) you know but i don't know though and i don't think i think emilio estevez would be unlikable but if you go back and watch bears and walter Matthau, like and he's just drinking and cursing at the kids and stuff like that. he's still lovable because he but i think walter Matthau's is already kind of crossing over into old man territory mm. where there's a little bit of um i don't know there's a yeah with he, emilio estevez is just too young and handsome and stuff like that he just it, it wouldn't work the same way you know there would be something more threat american psycho about it <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> and it's, i also i'm fascinated just by again not really being aware of the timing as a kid because i never saw the breakfast club until i was a teenager mm. is he's not that far away from his brat pack stuff from no. here it's very close in proximity and i i never really i mean you know that intuitively i guess but i never really made that connection yeah he's not far off yeah from yeah, breakfast, San Elmo's fire, and the Outsiders. Before that, those are the big three. That that's what I always think of him in. But now I have a fourth movie because I thought he was good in this. Thought he really did a good job. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like he's it. very likable. Yeah, I like the character. I like the actor too. Yeah, totally. And he doesn't do very much. No. He hasn't done very much. And he yeah, he's you know the Mission Impossible stuff and odds and ends. But yeah, that's it. I, this might be one like his maybe best known role widely as Coach Bombay. Yeah, and who the hell knows? Yeah. All right, Dave. Anything else to say? Or is that all for the Mighty Ducks? No, that's it. I had fun. I rented it on Amazon. It is on Disney Plus. I'm sure that's where you got it. Yeah, uh, I yeah. watched it on Disney Plus. I was bummed to see that they dropped the the series. So I wanted to see what that was all about. And I know he came back in the first season. I think he had beef and didn't come back for the second season before they just finally chopped it. But guys, watch this movie. It's better than you think. I will say it's better than you think. It's a it's a nice, it's a brisk watch. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 45 minutes of your life. Take steal a couple of times, a couple of hours away from Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is you're doing out there now. Final Fantasy 16 for me. So Yes, that's right. Oh, it's so good. So many shades of four. It's amazing. I that's that's gonna be my that's gonna what's you keep saying that, that's gonna be what gets me to play this game. How can I resist when you say this? Oh, yeah, there's. Oh, you'll see. I mean, you'll see. I, I think I think it's obvious. I don't think it's obvious to many people because I don't think there's a ton of people. A lot of people are complaining about how the game is different and it's not Final Fantasy. And it's like Final Fantasy has always been different. They just don't it's, go it's back not, far enough. Right. It's not Dragon Quest. Right. You know? And I love Dragon Quest and that has a place. So anyway, I'll leave that for sacred symbols, though. Dig. Let's end this episode of Knockback as we always do with a, a dad joke. <laughs> OK, I got a good one. This oh. is a slightly confusing one, but I like it. Kyle. Yeah. What did the shoe say to the confused hat? I don't know. You go on ahead. <laughs> Why did it have to be a shoe? I don't know. I like that it's a shoe. Yeah, it could just be any item of clothing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I like though. that it's a shoe. Yeah, that's fine. Not bad. Not it's bad. Uh, illustrative. All right, Dave, appreciate your time. Hope all is well fun. with you, my friend. Yeah, you too, my friend. It was fun. This was a good one. It was. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand, Knockback, etc. You know the drill. Patreon.com slash Last Stand Media for early ad-free access. Merch at LastStandMedia.store. We'll see you next time for more. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. 
Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. William Holbert, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, SLVFMA, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Malachi Wall, Dave Cowell, Donald John Vader, Stephen Interfield, Jordan Vallett, Edward Fryrear, Ross R. Lowe, The Ohio Bigfoot, Landon Pipkin, Joshua Jones, Kevin Hawley, Hugo Delaguia, Austin Michael Lipka, Paul Warren, Harold Eustache, Will Williams, Dinos Roar, Nicholas Renaud, Shane Brecky, Jack Sin, Sean Llewellyn, Michael Match Potato, Gene Lay Reedy, Sweaty Magic, Nate Izod, Hargeet Chani, Ellis, Albion, Josh Sullinger, Gunner117, Andrew Roman, Jacob Donovan, My Name is Mayo, Logan Byford, Eddie Medina, Jason Arzan, Sean Hatfield, Christopher Nock, Ryan Daly, Sean Gulati, Donato Chiarlo, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodall, Sorta Serious Gaming, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Whiskey Sin, Zier Parrix, Sean Miles, Relentless Rex, Alan Tuniak, Dustin Klingman, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Jeremy Roberts, Luke Aldersley, Dustin Graff, Zach Cohen, Peyton Stone, Fozzie Bear, Michael Buffel, Dan Root, Asak Paredes, Dante Sharp, Talisman, Christopher Morgan, Randall Holsey, Dio or Die, T-Bone 007, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Travis, Joe, Ross Chandler, H-Trons, Antonio C., Ryan, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Theo, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Jordan Gale, Of Fortuna, John Zile, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Alex Lapierre, Saul Balcazar, Birdo64, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Flowers, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Kendrick Callis, Jimmy Rodriguez, Caswell, TB Lightning, Dave Alvarez, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Stewie108, Patrick Montgomery, DB Cooper, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVio, Chris Morton, Joel Holcomb, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Carlos Algaret, Mike Menzel, Night Draft, James Hayes, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Jush, Tyler Lyle, Gavin, Morgs Rooks, Jerome Ferreira, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Michael Hunt, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Scholes, Tom Quinn, Anton Kay, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Pork and Beans, Jean Francois Forze, Tony Zaniga, Robbie Hensley, Shane Miller, Alex Cabrera, Corey Dustin, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, JSC0828, Jorge Powell, Max Cannon, Thomas Sablin, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Lockmort, Geo Corsi, Joey Gonoliger, Zach Jennings, Alex Monez, Gerald Pennington, Justin Payne, Justin Wagaman, Austin Riley, Paul Joyce, Alan Hopkins, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Logan Willis, Sean Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Greg Julius, Ashley Carlson, Mary Marius Carson-Peterson, Tyler Harris, Madmock Media, Ryan Davis, Bo Burkholz, and Jonathan Rice.